John 4, 23 and 24 says this, But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Notice that God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Big S for when it talks about the spirit of God. Small S when it talks about our spirit, our mind, our emotions. We have to get our spirit, our mind, our emotions involved in worship with him. Okay. So man is a seeker. Man is always seeking. We're seeking someone for companionship. It may be in the form of a spouse. It may be in the form of friendship. We're seeking someone. We are seeking something. We have to be careful that as we seek things, that we don't tie our affection to things. And last week we talked about having so many things that once the novelty of the thing is gone, then we want to get rid of the thing. And that's why we go and get storage sheds. You know, we spend 50 bucks a month on storage so we can have the things that we thought were going to bring us happiness, but they didn't. Man is a seeker of tangible things or intangible things. Man is seeking. Man is looking. Because there's something inside of us that, that we have missed from the very beginning. Let's go on. Back to John 4.24. Let's look how it, it goes, or 4.23 in the in, in a, uh, New Living Translation, I'm sorry. But the time is coming and is already here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Look at this next line. The Father is looking for anyone who will worship him in that way. Next one. The Father is seeking or the Father is looking for anyone. In reality, it is God that is seeking and looking. Man seeks for someone, something, something tangible or something intangible. But in reality, it is God who is looking and seeking for worshipers. We are made, let's go on, John, we are made in the image of God, and therefore God is a seeker. So man has become a seeker because we are made in the image of God. So you have God who is seeking worshipers, and you have man who is looking. You have God who is looking. You know, you've come to church today, we come to church, and we are looking for something. The first time you walked in here, or the however the first time you found out about us, maybe a friend told you about us, you know, maybe you read about us in the newspaper, maybe you heard it on the radio, then you don't hear about it on the radio. Uh, You know, whatever you did, you came to church because, and maybe this isn't your first church that you've uh, visited. Maybe you've been visiting a multiple amount of churches, a copious amount of churches. Why? Because you are looking. You are seeking for something for inside, and at the same time you are looking, God is looking. At the same time that you are hungry, God is hungry. The same way that you're hungry to fill the void in your life and that relationship to figure out what's going on, God is looking to fill the void in your life and to fill the hunger in your spirit. Amen? So God is a seeker also. Okay. So let's go look at this. So what words do not go together? We talked about this last week. We even put some out that weren't even on the screen. In and out, they're opposites. Up and down, east and west, north and south. It's just opposite. It's like Psalms, as far as the east is from the west, and that's how it works. So there are words that don't go together, but God seeking, that's, that's really strange to us because we think that we're always looking for God. 
Somebody said one time, well, when I found the Lord, well, the Lord was never lost. He was right there all the time. He found you. He was looking for you. God was seeking for you. God was searching for you. God was looking for you. And when you walked in the doors the very first time, God was looking at you. And God is like, okay, could it have been that God brought that person across the path of your life to tell you about this ministry? Could it have been that that, uh, that God brought that newspaper and you saw maybe in the, you were looking through the church section and you saw the one for Family Worship Center and something said, I need to go check that out. Could it have, you know, what, what was it that has brought you to this point? What has pushed you in the seeking process to get you to hear that now you're hearing not only was I looking for something, but God was looking for me. Look at Revelation chapter number 4, verse 11 says this in the King James. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now let's look at that in the New Living Translation. Maybe to break it down a little bit more so we can understand. You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created everything, and it was for your pleasure that they exist and were created. Everything was created for God's pleasure. Why am I here? Why am I created to give God pleasure? Why did God make the uh, beautiful lava volcanic uh, mountains in the islands of Hawaii that the clouds hang down on and you can be at the beach and have sunshine and you can drive up the side of the mountain and as soon as you hit the clouds then it's rain and it's rainbows and it's, it's wonderful. I mean there's two whole different worlds. You can actually ski on the big island or sometimes on Maui on the uh, on uh, Mauna Lea or Haleakala, which are volcanic volcanoes in those islands, they're each above ten thousand. I think Mauna Lea is thirteen thousand feet. So you can actually ski in Hawaii and then drive an hour and a half down to the beach and go swimming. Why did God make that? It was for His pleasure. Why did God make the Matterhorn in the Swiss Alps and all the beauty of the Alps in Europe? Why did God make the beauty of the Sahara Desert in Africa? Why? All of this was created for God's glory. Why, when we get up and we come to church, do we feel God? Because we were created for His glory and for His pleasure. Don't let the devil tell you that you are nothing in God's eyes because God has made you for His pleasure. Look at your neighbor and say, God made you for His pleasure. Pleasure. What is pleasure? It is enjoyment or satisfaction. It is derived from what is to one's liking, gratification, or delight you were made for god's liking you and i were created for god's pleasure you and i were created for god's gratification and his delight the devil wants to tear that down and he wants to say you're nobody he wants to tear that down and say you don't need to go to church out there people looking at you you don't need to go up front people just look at you when you go up front you don't need to do this you know you get embarrassed and everything else listen you have lived on the bottom long enough Maybe you didn't hear that one. You have lived on the bottom long enough. We have been bottom dwellers long enough. God wants to send us up to the surface and God wants to get us to where we see some sunshine and we can catch a few rays. You know what I'm saying? God wants to turn your life around. If you're down the bottom, God wants to bring you up to the top. 
And God wants you to enjoy him, and God wants to enjoy you. That is what worship is all about. Let's go on. Genesis 3, 8, and 9. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? A, God knew where he was at already because he's God. God knew where the man was. And you know the story. The man said, well, we hid ourselves because we were naked. And God said, who told you? A lot of times you have to remember some of the thoughts that you've had about yourself or about others about you are from someone else telling you. Who told you? You can be sitting over here and you can look over here and somebody kind of look at you out of the corner of their eye and smile and then you can, and then on the way home, that can become a, a huge mountain. Did you see the way they looked at me? Or so-and-so was talking to so-and-so, and, they, and I looked over, and they both looked at me, and then when I looked at them, they stopped talking. I know they were talking about me. God wanted to know, who told you you were naked? The devil told them. The devil will take things that don't even exist and blow them up in our minds and make them look like they are huge mountains that we cannot go through, go around, or go over. Amen? Therefore, we can't worship because we're more worried about the mountain in front of us than we are worshiping God. Notice this. They had sin in their lives, but the sin did not stop God from what? Seeking them. Adam and Eve, here they are. They are, they are naked. They are sinful. But God says to them, who told you that you were naked? And then he says, even though you're in sin, I'm still looking for you. It doesn't matter where you've come from. What matters is where you're going. Oh, it doesn't matter what your track record was. That was your past. Your past is your past. It's done. It's over. You are looking at a new horizon. You are looking at a new adventure. One of the themes of the classrooms downstairs is traveling with Lewis and Clark. And when they left uh, the Mississippi River and traveled the Missouri River until they hit the Pacific Ocean all out through there, it was an adventure day after day after day. You know what? It's the same way with God. As you worship Him, there's going to be times where you're going to fail and you're going to sin. Do you mean that people still sin after they come to God? Oh, yes. We're still human. Still got to put my socks on every morning. But yes. We get the Holy Ghost and we are still going to be susceptible to sin. We get baptized and we're still going to be susceptible to sin. We're still going to have troubles and difficulties and challenges, so just get used to it. But in the meantime, even though you have those problems in your life, God is still seeking you. God is still looking for you. God is still hungry for your fellowship. So don't turn around and don't turn back and say, well, hey, God, I'm a sinner. I've got sin in my life. I can't come to church. Some people say, I, I can't come to church because I've got all, this problems, all these problems in my life and I can't come to church. Whoa, wait a minute. Why don't you come anyway? Because you don't get good to get God. You get God to get good. The Bible says it's not of works lest any man should boast. If we could clean up before we got here, we wouldn't need a Savior. If I could be a saint before I was a sinner, while in the midst of being a sinner, I wouldn't need a Savior. But listen, I am undone. I can't do it on my own. I am powerless over this thing. I cannot fix it by myself. I need help from someone bigger than I am. I need help from someone much greater than I am and much wiser than I am. I need a Savior in my life. Amen? You need a Savior in your life. You need a Savior. Amen? Suppose a woman has ten valuable silver coins and loses one. 
Won't she light a lamp and look in every corner of the house and sweep every nook and cranny until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and rejoice with her because she has found her lost coin. God is looking and God is searching for that one lost coin. Now, that word uh, seek, there's a word there. That it's not in the NLT. It's in the King James. It says she will seek diligently. That word seek diligently is the same word that God used in John chapter 4, verse 23. She searches the house and looks until she finds that coin. God searches and searches and searches until he finds us, until he identifies us. Amen. Let's go on. Luke chapter 7, verses 48 through 50. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Notice it was the religious people that Jesus had the most trouble with. It wasn't the, it wasn't the sinner and it wasn't the, uh, the person who needed the help. It was all the wise religious people around. When Jesus wanted to go to Simon's house, or Matthew's house, I'm sorry. Matthew was a tax collector. When he wanted to go there, Peter almost had a herd of cattle right there. Because Matthew and Peter were arch enemies. Because Peter did a good catch, and Matthew taxed him for it. And Matthew would take out what Caesar's what part of Caesar's was, and then Matthew had by law the privilege of taking out what he thought his part of Peter's catch was, and Peter could do nothing about it. You know what's going to happen in this church? God is going to put bitter enemies together in this church. God is going to put somebody in here that, you know what, you're going to look at them when they walk in the door, and you're going to say, what are they doing here? She needed much, but she asked for nothing. Instead, she worshiped. She had a whole lot of problems. She had a whole lot on her agenda, and she needed a lot. But you notice what she did? She didn't come in and beg and say, Jesus, I need, 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 need. All she did was she came in and worshipped. And when she worshipped, you know what Jesus said? Daughter, thy sins be forgiven thee. Go and sin no more. Worship will take you to a place in God where you don't even have to ask for anything because when you worship him, you put yourself in the place of, Lord, I receive whatever you want, but I'm just going to worship you because of who you are and what you mean to me. Amen? So she needed a lot. She asked for nothing, but she worshiped, and God gave her the whole field. Amen. Let's give him praise. As long as you are breathing, God has a hunger for your worship. As long as you have breath, God wants you to be a worshiper. As long as you have breath, God is looking for you to worship. As long as you can breathe, you always have the ability to worship. So as long as you're alive, God's looking for your worship. And as long as you're alive, you have the ability to worship. God is seeking all those who will worship him. God is wanting us to take this church and go into a dimension of worship. Have you noticed that after the singing or during prayer, once the worship starts, it just seems to keep going and going and going. You know why? Because we are starting to connect with God. We are starting to come in fellowship and in worship with Him. Why? Because He is in our presence and we are in His presence. Amen? The Father is seeking such to worship Him and we are the ones He has called to worship. Okay, let's go on. So he's looking for it. Now, worship is about God. It is not about us. It's all about him. Worship is not Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is, Lord, thank you for being a good God to me. Thank you for providing the money, this $42,000, to fill up my tank with gas. Thank you for that. 
Thank you, Lord, for my clothes that I had to wear. Thank you, Lord, for the food that I have to eat. That's Thanksgiving. Worship is not our praise. Lord, I praise you that you brought me safe here today. Lord, I praise you that you've given me another day to live. Lord, I praise you that you've given me health in my body. That is praise. Worship is about him. You come in, worship wasn't very good today. Why wasn't worship good today? Well, they didn't sing the songs I like to sing. It's not about our songs. It's about him. Worship wasn't very good today because the sanctuary was really hot. It's not about how hot or uncomfortable we are. It's about how great he is. Well, worship wasn't very good today because Brother Tracy didn't sing enough. And I was wanting him to sing a lot. I mean, Mike. We're talking about Mike, weren't we? It's not about your favorite singer. It's not about your favorite song. It's not about your favorite comfort level. It's all about him. It's about him. We're not going to try to focus on personality. We're going to focus on the one and only, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? It's all about him. Oh, yeah. Worship is the glue that keeps us stuck to Jesus. Job, not Job, Job 120 says this. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down on the ground and worshipped. He had just heard that he had lost all of his flocks of sheep. He had just heard that he lost all of his herds of cattle. He had just heard that he lost all of his camels. He had just heard that he lost all of his children. They were all in a house and the wind hit the house the right way and the house collapsed and killed all of them. Job had just heard all of this. The last thing Job had left was his wife. And she came out and she was trying to encourage Job too. Only she couldn't do it either. She was so overwhelmed. She looked at Job and she said, why don't you just curse God and die? You've lost it all. Relationship with God and worship with God is not built upon what we have. You can have a gazillion dollars or you can be in the red in your bank account. But you can have a lot of money or you can have no money. Listen, the only thing that's going to keep you stuck with Jesus is worship. The only thing that will get you through your darkest hour is worship. That's the only thing that's going to get you through your darkest hour is worship. Worship is this. It is God's centeredness. God's right in the center of everything. John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he may increase. The economy, the laws of the economy of God are he that exalts himself shall be humbled or abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. When you come into the kingdom, you don't get a crown and a robe and a scepter when you come into the kingdom of God. You get a towel. You serve. You help others. It's not about collecting for yourself or collecting for your idea or your ideal. It's about him. It's about Jesus Christ. God is in the center of our praise and worship. Worship is adoration. Worship is love. Worship is commitment. And look at your neighbor and say it's commitment. It's commitment. It's committed commitment to God. It's commitment to the body of Christ, the church. It's commitment and it's it's about sticking together. Worship is the only thing that's going to keep us sticking. Worship translate is God's worth. What is God really worth to us? What is he worth? Ask yourself that question. What is God worth to me? A.W. Tozer, the author, said this. Worship is to express in some appropriate manner a humbling but delightful sense of admiring awe. When you look at, when you look at the ocean, the very first time you've seen the ocean, and you see the vastness of the ocean, you see the size of the ocean, you're saying, wow, 
This is incredible. When you get in that ocean and you decide that you're going to snorkel or you're going to dive or scuba dive or whatever, and you get out there and you're paddling and you're, you're kicking as hard as you can and that current is still pushing you the opposite direction and you're looking underwater and you're seeing the bottom is way down there. You can't touch the bottom. You begin to realize that you are just one small speck in a great big world. Or when you see the mountains, the snow-covered mountains, and you see how the size and the, the, the majestic uh, view of them, and you see how beautiful it is, the Appalachians with the rolling hills and the trees lines and all of that business or the Rockies and their jagged peaks, you realize that God has created everything and worship is God's worth. So worship is not about God alone, or it's about God alone. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about His awesomeness. And really, His awesomeness comes down to this. I was a sinner. I was undone. I was pitiful. But He found me. And he picked me up and he put me back together and he put my life back together and he's added things to my life. He's, you know, some people can say he's putting my family back together. He's put, he's putting my life back together. Some people were burnt out on drugs and alcohol and all of this kind of business. And now God has made them successful business people and has blessed them immensely. You know why? Because God is God and he is God alone. There is no other God like him. There will never be another God beside him. There is only one God. His name is Jesus. Amen. Amen. And he is the subject of our uh, subject of our worship. He is the subject of our adoration. He is the subject of our awe. Looking at him saying, wow, he is an astonished wonder and overpowering love in the presence of God. That's God. God is love. What is love? God is love. You can't explain it. You can't put a formula to it. You can't understand it with our, with our minds. We cannot always understand it. But my worship has to be one direction. This is my worship. This is the only way I can worship. Is that I cannot worship this way. I cannot worship a statue. I cannot worship a philosophy. I cannot worship a job. I cannot worship money. I cannot worship fame. I have to worship this way because God is God and he is God alone. There will never be another like him. There will never be another beside him. He said before me there was no God formed in Isaiah. And he said after me there shall, there shall be no God formed after me. He said, I alone am God, the one true God, the same God that said, let there be light, spoke the worlds into existence is the same God that has spoken to our hearts today. The same God that we have felt today, the same presence that we have admired today. We're not self-absorbed in it. We don't come to church with a clipboard judging who worshiped and who didn't check them off. So we're not here with a clipboard. Yep. Larry didn't worship today. You're not coming in here to see who else is worshiping because it's all one direction this way. Doesn't matter who's worshiping and who's not. What matters is this. It matters that we as the family of God and those of us who know that we create an atmosphere of worship that when somebody walks through the door, they can walk up front and receive, throw their hands in the air and receive the Holy Ghost just so easy and just so kind and just so nice. That's what our job is, is cause we're worshiping Him. It's about God. Let's go on, John. So worship is God. You are. You are what God? You are holy. You are pure, you are righteous, you are merciful, you are long-suffering, you are gracious, and the list goes on and on and on. Listen, when we can't stand ourselves, God still stands us because he is holy. I have to be holy because he is pure, and I'm worshiping him because he is pure. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about him. We worship you because 
you're holy. We worship you because you're gracious. We worship you because you're merciful. We worship you because you're long-suffering. Aren't you glad that God is long-suffering? Aren't you glad that God is long-suffering? Have you ever dealt with a situation and you're still dealing with it? And every time you face that situation, you trip and fall, God's right there to pick you up and say, it's going to be all right. Let me walk with you. Let me help you through this. Amen. But you don't understand where I'm coming from. No, I may not. But God knows. And if you worship him, he's looking for your worship. He's seeking after you. He's seeking. He's looking. He's trying to find you. He's trying to find the place. Let's go on. Let's find out. Where is the most powerful place in the entire universe? The most powerful place in the entire universe. We sang about it this morning. It's around the throne. Have you ever read in Revelation chapter 4 about the throne? A rainbow about the throne, the river of life coming out from the throne, the trees of life by the sides of the river, thunders, lightnings, the 24 elders are taking their crowns and casting them before him, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Let's look at it. Revelation 4, 8 says this. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they, had rest, they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and they were created. Let me tell you what the devil will try to do. The devil will try if he can't just come out and give you a straight lie for you to believe, he'll take half truth and twist it together. Let's go proof in case here, case in point. If you look back at the Garden of Eden, when Eve was standing there by the tree that God said, don't eat the fruit, the devil says to her, has God said? First of all, he tries to put a question in your mind. Start questioning God. Start questioning the word of God. Start questioning the authority of God. Has God said that you cannot eat or touch the tree? Remember that? He says eat or touch. For in the day that you, he knows that when you eat it, you're going to be like God. You'll know good and evil. So what does he do? He makes what God said to look like God has a weakness. And a lot of times today, you have to be very, very careful about all of the philosophies of the world going around and all of the religions going around because, you know, there's a lot of New Age stuff that's mixed in with Scripture these days. And so then it makes the Scripture look like a little bit of uh, modernism, postmodernism, a little bit of New Age, a little bit of all this. And you know what? We can take all that and we can ingest that and we can believe a lie if we're not careful. You have to stay in the book. Look at your neighbor and say, stay in the book. you got to stay in the book. Stay in Genesis through Revelation and let it all click together for you. But it doesn't make much sense. Or this guy from India said this. Or the Beatles visited the Dalai Lama. Well, who cares? Be not deceived. 
Be very careful if you don't follow after Christ and you follow after the new age and the rudiments of the world and Eastern mysticism and transcendental meditations and all of this astral projection and witchcraft and all of this stuff that's all involved in the new age now. Listen, the gospel is not the new age. The gospel was around way before the new age ever happened. The devil has taken humanism and he has taken the religious teachings of the world and he has mixed them together to try to deceive us and confuse us. Let your mind be clear. There is only one God. His name is Jesus. He will always be God. There will be none other than Him. And the true plan is this. Worship the Lord thy God with all your soul, your mind, and your strength. Amen? That's what you've got to do. You've got to worship God with all your body, soul, mind, and strength. It's amazing to me why Jesus said, Worship the Lord thy God with all of thy mind. Because my body can walk into church and my mind can be in Tahiti. Make sure that your mind comes with your body. Make sure that your body comes with your mind. And make sure that your mind is worshiping Jesus. This is the way it is right here. Well, how do you know? How do you know that some of this other stuff is not right? Listen, a man with an argument is no match for a man with an experience. I know what I was like before I got the Holy Ghost, and then I know what I've become since I had the Holy Ghost. Les Steinkamp knows what he was before he got the Holy Ghost, and now he's discovering the man that he's becoming with the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, Jesus said you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you and the hour is coming and the father is looking for and the father is seeking true worshipers God's looking for you the most powerful place in the entire universe is around the throne why because it's worshiped there so if the throne is the most powerful place in the entire universe if there's worship in this house couldn't this become a PowerPoint on the earth couldn't this be a place where men and women with addictions get out of their cars and before they even get in the door they're receiving the Holy Ghost in the parking lots And they're getting delivered before they walk in the door. God has great plans for this church. God has great plans for all of us in here. And it's all about seeing lives changed. And it's all about seeing Him worshipped. Amen? It's all about bringing all the glory and all the power and all the majesty to Jesus Christ. Amen? There is none other God. There will never be another God. I don't know why I keep getting back on this, but sound like I'm overseas preaching. But there will be none other God that we will worship than Jesus Christ. It's not about you. It's not about me. But it's all about Him. Amen? It's all about Jesus Christ. Let's all stand. Well, you say, how do I get the Holy Ghost? When you're worshiping Him, when you're praising Him, worship will bring you through all kinds of trouble. Job went through all this trouble, all of this stress, all of this pain. And the Bible says after all of it was said and done, he worshiped. After he shaved his head, after he put sackcloth on, after he sat on a dung pile, he worshiped. All he could do was worship. There will be times when the only thing that you will be able to do is worship.